Chapter 8 The Real Christ His Manliness Let all the house of Israel therefore know assuredly that God hath made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom ye crucified. Acts chapter 2 verse 36 And it came to pass, when the days were well nigh come, that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Luke chapter 9 verse 51 Judas then, having received the band of soldiers and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus therefore, knowing all the things that were coming upon him, went forth and saith unto them, Whom seek ye? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus saith unto them, I am he. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If therefore ye seek me, let these go their way. John chapter 18, verses 3 through 5 and verse 8. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. John chapter 12, verses 27 through 28. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. We have already studied seven features of the picture God has drawn in His Word of the real Christ. His holiness, His love for God the Father, His love for men, His love for souls, His compassion, His meekness, and His humility. The last three, His compassion, meekness, and humility, are very closely associated. But now we will study a marked characteristic of our Lord that is of a different sort, His manliness. In most of the paintings of our Lord, the face is not only to a marked degree womanly, but it is also positively effeminate and weak. The same is true of the pictures of Christ Jesus drawn in words in many pulpits. That is not a true picture of the real Christ. I cannot endure the paintings of the face of Christ. They make me indignant. They dishonor my Lord. Gentle he was, as we have already seen and gentleness is more frequently a characteristic of women than of men, of mothers, wives, and daughters, rather than of fathers, husbands, and sons. But while he was more gentle than the gentlest mother, the gentlest person who ever lived on this earth, the one true and perfect gentleman, he was at the same time the strongest and most vigorous of all the sons of men. Gentleness, humility, and meekness are seldom found coupled with energy and vigor. I do not think that the term manliness accurately describes what I mean, for many women display many of the qualities I am about to describe more fully than most men. What we men in our presumption and arrogance and self-sufficiency call manliness is just as much, if not more, womanliness. But I use the term manliness because it comes closer to describing what I mean than any other term of which I can think. I recall reading a book more than forty years ago called The Manliness of Jesus. I have entirely forgotten the contents of that book. Nevertheless, the book made a deep impression upon me at the time, and I presume it suggested the title of this chapter. Just what I mean by manliness will be clear as we consider how the manliness of the real Christ, not the Christ that artists paint from their own fancy, but the Christ who actually lived on this earth, and whose perfect portrait God has drawn in the Bible, 
was manifested. His absolute fearlessness. In three of our five texts, we see that the manliness of Christ was manifested in his absolute fearlessness in the face of gravest peril. We often see this in the story of his life on earth. For example, consider the second text. And it came to pass, when the days were well nigh come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Luke chapter 9 verse 51. Our Lord knew He was going to Jerusalem to face shame, suffering, agony, and death. No other person ever walked this earth who naturally shrank from death as He did, for no other who walked this earth was as full of life as He was. But He looked the fast-approaching suffering, agony, shame, and death right in the eye, without flinching, and marched to meet it, to feel its sting, and to conquer it. We see the same thing from a different angle in John. Judas then, having received the band of soldiers and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus therefore, knowing all the things that were coming upon him, went forth, and saith unto them, Whom seek ye? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus saith unto them, I am he, and Judas also, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When therefore he said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. Again therefore he asked them, Whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If therefore ye seek me, let these go their way. John chapter 18 verses 3 through 8. The underlying significance of these words spoken under such circumstances is so evident that they need no comment. Again, we see much the same thing in John chapter 12, verses 27 through 28. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. The shadow of the cross lay across the pathway Jesus trod from the beginning of His public ministry. This is evident from His words in John chapter 2, verse 19, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up, which He uttered on His first visit to Jerusalem after the beginning of His public ministry. But He discerned from the outset the cross with all its unutterable horrors, horrors inconceivable to our finite minds. He marched toward it, without swerving for one moment, even an inch from the path God had marked out. Undeceived or misled by the popularity that His benevolent ministry had begun. In this manly fearlessness, we must follow Him. In the face of the gravest peril, we must follow Him. For He has said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, If any man would come after Me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross, and follow Me. The Boldness of His Utterances The manliness of the Christ of God was manifested in the boldness of His utterances. We see this in His demeanor and in His words before the high priest Annas and the Roman governor Pilate, as John has pictured them. The high priest therefore asked Jesus of His disciples and of His teaching. Jesus answered Him, I have spoken openly to the world. I ever taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together, and in secret spake I nothing. 
Why askest thou me? Ask them that have heard me, what I spake unto them. Behold, these know the things which I said. And when he had said this, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Answerest thou the high priest so? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why smitest thou me? Pilate therefore entered again into the praetorium, and called Jesus, and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Sayest thou this of thyself? Or did others tell it thee concerning me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight, that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end have I been born, and to this end am I come into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Every one that is of the truth heareth my voice. John chapter 18, verses 19 through 23, and verses 33 through 37. When Pilate therefore heard this saying, he was the more afraid, and he entered into the praetorium again, and saith unto Jesus, Whence art thou? But Jesus gave him no answer. Pilate therefore saith unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have power to release thee, and have power to crucify thee? Jesus answered him, Thou wouldest have no power against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore he that delivered me unto thee hath greater sin. John chapter 19, verses 8 through 11. Even more startlingly bold are his words before Caiaphas. And they that had taken Jesus led him away to the house of Caiaphas the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were gathered together. Now the chief priests and the whole council sought false witness against Jesus, that they might put him to death. And they found it not, though many false witnesses came. But afterward came two, and said, This man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God, and to build it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said unto him, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witness against thee? But Jesus held his peace. And the high priest said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God, that thou tell us whether thou art the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus saith unto him, Thou hast said, Nevertheless I say unto you, Henceforth ye shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power, and coming on the clouds of heaven. Matthew chapter 26, verse 57, and verses 59 through 64. His Warrior Spirit The manliness of the Lord Jesus was manifested in His warrior spirit. The Lord Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted, Luke chapter 4, verse 18, to comfort the sorrowing and heavy laden, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, and to gently bind up all the gaping wounds of humanity. But He also came to be the dauntless leader in the fiercest fight the universe has ever known. We see this repeatedly. Matthew chapter 10, verse 34 will probably serve to illustrate this as well as any passage in God's record. Think not that I came to send peace on the earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. Jesus Christ was indeed the Prince of Peace, but He was also the Prince of Warriors. 
The hymn, The Son of God Goes Forth to War, has a great truth in it, but this hymn is also just as true. Majestic sweetness sits enthroned upon the Savior's brow, His head with radiant glories crowned, His lips with grace o'erflow. The peace the real Christ preached was peace through victorious warfare. To be a true follower of Jesus, the Christ of God, one must be a fearless fighter as well as a gentle comforter. And today, the fight is hotter than ever before in this old world's history, for the end draws near, and Satan rages, for he knows his time is short. Today we need, we sorely need warrior Christians. If we are to preach a full gospel, we must preach a gospel of hard, fierce, but completely victorious warfare. His Fearless Frankness The manliness of Christ Jesus was manifested in His utter and fearless frankness in dealing with men. We see this illustrated many times. For example, And as they went on the way, a certain man said unto him, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the heaven have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Luke chapter 9 verses 57 through 58. We see it again later in Luke. Now there went with him great multitudes, and he turned and said unto them, If any man cometh unto me, and hateth not his own father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Whosoever doth not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower doth not first sit down and count the cost, whether he have wherewith to complete it? Lest haply, when he hath laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all that behold begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, as he goeth to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and take counsel whether he is able with ten thousand to meet him that cometh against him with twenty thousand? Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage, and asketh conditions of peace. So therefore, whosoever he be of you, that renounceth not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Luke chapter 14 verses 25 through 33. Our Lord concealed nothing. He wanted all to know, the very worst as well as the very best. While he longed for disciples, because he knew that discipleship of him meant infinite and eternal blessing for them, he would not have one person become his disciple without a full understanding of the tremendous cost of discipleship. He wanted them to have a clear and full comprehension of all the shame, suffering, and loss that would be involved in following him. This is a lesson that modern evangelists and preachers need to learn. We are constantly making improvements on what one gains by coming to and accepting Christ. Our Lord Jesus declared what one loses by coming to Him. He appealed to the heroism and self-sacrifice of men as well as their longing for peace, joy, and infinite reward. There is great need today that we preach a heroic gospel of self-sacrifice and not a gospel that seeks to minimize the sacrifices involved in coming to Christ, or to transform the church that Christ Jesus founded, the crucified Christ, into a competitor 
with the dance hall, the card club, vaudeville, and the movie theaters. His Uncompromising Attitude Toward Sin The manliness of Jesus Christ was manifested in His uncompromising attitude toward sin in all its forms. This is seen in that terse but meaningful utterance of His recorded in John chapter 8, verse 34. Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Everyone that committeth sin is the bondservant of sin. Sin was always sin in the eyes of Jesus. There was no such thing as excusable sin, or venial sin, or little sin in his estimation. Sin was always, whatever the particular sin might be, the same hateful, abominable, ruinous, enslaving thing. Everyone that committeth sin, whatever the sin may be, is the bondservant of sin. He had compassion upon sinners of all sorts. He hated and denounced sin in all its forms. There was none of that namby-pamby, milk-and-water, half-admiring, half-diminishing attitude toward some forms of sin that is so common even among certain classes of professing Christians today. He never called a carnival of lust a romance, as our newspapers do almost every day. No, listen to his blistering words. Every one that putteth away his wife, and marrieth another, committeth adultery. And he that marrieth one that is put away from a husband committeth adultery. Luke chapter 16, verse 18. Sin was sin, hideous, loathsome, enslaving. He cries, I tell you, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Luke chapter 13, verses 3 through 5. He pardoned sin when it was repented of, but he sternly added, Sin no more, lest a worse thing befall thee. John chapter 5, verse 14, and chapter 8, verse 11. His attitude towards sin was unyielding, strong, virile, uncompromising, and never condoning. This is a lesson that we need to learn. Sometimes because of our fondness for the sinner, because he is dear to us by ties of relationship, or from our very desire to be like our Lord in his compassionate dealings with sinners, we are tempted to condone the sins of some, even gross sins. That is utterly unchristlike. He never did. His Unbending Firmness The manliness of Christ Jesus is seen in his unbending firmness. For example, And he said unto another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. But he said unto him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead, but go thou and publish abroad the kingdom of God. And another also said, I will follow thee, Lord, but first suffer me to bid farewell to them that are at my house. But Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow, and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Luke chapter 9, verses 59 through 62. The requests of these two men seem reasonable at first, but not to Jesus. He had made a demand upon these men for immediate action. The call was not only important, but also imperative, and the Lord Jesus did not yield one inch. Leave the dead to bury their own dead, he gently but firmly said. And then, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God.
what manly positiveness and firmness we see in this. There was nothing of the weak, vacillating, babbling, sentimental, ethical culturist and moral liberalist about him. He was a man, a full-grown man, every inch a man, God's pattern man. The Severity of His Rebukes The manliness of Christ Jesus was manifested in the severity with which he denounced hypocrisy, pretense, self-righteousness, self-sufficiency, self-deception, and unadmitted sin. We see this in frequent occurrences described in the brief record of his life on earth. For example, And the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they scoffed at him. And he said unto them, Ye are they that justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knoweth your hearts. For that which is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Luke chapter 16, verses 14 through 15. How severe and searching these words of our Lord were, especially when we remember to whom they were spoken. He spoke to the men who prided themselves not only upon the thoroughness and rigidity of their orthodoxy, but also upon the strictness of their morality and the loftiness of their ideals of holy living. But look at something even more severe and stern. But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because ye shut the kingdom of heaven against men. For ye enter not in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering in to enter. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye devour widows' houses, even while for a pretense ye make long prayers. Therefore ye shall receive great condemnation. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye compass sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he is become so, ye make him twofold more a son of hell than yourselves. Woe unto you, ye blind guides, that say, Whosoever shall swear by the temple, it is nothing, but whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, he is a debtor. Ye fools and blind, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that hath sanctified the gold? Matthew chapter 23, verses 13 through 17. And still further down in the chapter we read, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye tithe mint, and anise, and cumin, and have left undone the weightier matters of the law, justice, and mercy, and faith. But these ye ought to have done, and not to have left the other undone. Ye blind guides, that strain out the gnat and swallow the camel. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye cleanse the outside of the cup, and of the platter, but within they are full from extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first the inside of the cup and of the platter, that the outside thereof may become clean also. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which outwardly appear beautiful, but inwardly are full of dead men's bones, and of all uncleanness. Even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but inwardly ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Ye serpents, ye offspring of vipers, how shall ye escape the judgment of hell? Matthew chapter 23, verses 23 through 28, and verse 33. Is this the same Christ Jesus that we saw when we studied his compassion, or when we studied his meekness? Yes, this is the very same Jesus, 
Jesus the real Christ, the Christ of God, who was as strong and manly as he was meek and humble in heart. Remember, meekness is not weakness, and humility is not servility. It is true that the religion of Jesus Christ is exceptionally a woman's religion. It has lifted women to a significance never dreamed of before. But it is also as much a man's religion. Its appeal is for heroism, fearlessness, courage, self-sacrifice, and utter reality. His unhesitating acceptance of torture and agony. The manliness of our Lord Jesus was manifested in His unhesitating acceptance of torture and agony in order to save others from suffering and ruin, rather than yielding one iota of the truth. Our Lord Jesus could have escaped the cross if He had been willing to compromise with the religious rulers of the day who oppressed the masses. Yes, He could have escaped easily, but He would not. He pursued the path of absolute allegiance to God and His truth, though the cross loomed black and threatening in the path. He did not deviate one step in order to avoid the cross. If He had chosen to do so, when the emissaries of Annas, Caiaphas, and the cowardly crowd who had conspired to bring about His death came to arrest Him in the garden, He could have escaped. If He had appealed to the Father, the Father would instantly have sent twelve legions of angels and delivered Him. Matthew chapter 26, verse 53. But he knew that if he escaped the cross, sinners would perish eternally. On the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus was transfigured in glory. He talked with Moses and Elijah of his death that he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. He then turned his back on the glory, and once again he appeared in his incarnate body. Luke chapter 9, verse 31. Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. He descended the mountain and went to Jerusalem to die, so that you and I might live. And you and I must tread the same path if we choose to abide in Him. For it is written in God's word, He that saith he abideth in Him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. The path of manly, literal sacrifice of self to save others is the path he trod, and he has said, If any man would come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross, and follow me. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24.